today we're going to be reading from Malachi 3, 1 through 4, and 4, 1 through 6. While you are working on getting there, I just want to mention that you're also welcome to use an electronic device. No one will say anything about you using your cell phone while we're reading in Scripture for the moment. Malachi 3, 1 through 4, if you're using a pew Bible, is on page 1001 and 1002. 3, 1 through 4. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launder's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purify of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men whom will bring offerings and righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. 4, 1 through 6. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All of the arrogant and every evildoer will be, will be stubble, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them, but for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing on, in its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked, they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when, I'm do, when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and the laws I gave him at Herod for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. May God bless the reading of his word. Welcome to a, a brand new series here uh, that we're getting started on today. And uh, we've never done a series like this one, it's safe to say, at least not since I've been here. And I'm excited about it. Uh, it's, it's huge. We're embarking on a journey together, and we're going to study the gospel as in the story of Jesus, all the way from its beginning here at Christmas to its end at Easter. And so we've got a, a few months here that we're going to travel through this. Uh, just to preserve my sanity, we're going to break it into three chapters. And so we've got the gospel arriving, and then we'll have announcing, and then we'll have accomplishing. And you'll see that that cleverly all starts with A. It, that's, that's why y'all pay me the big bucks. So I'm excited about this. I'm excited about it um, not because it's long. I'm excited about it because of the power of it. I'm excited of it because uh, Jesus said that when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And there's truth in this story. And not just in the sense that it's a true story, uh, but that there's truth in its telling. There's, when, when people hear it, things happen. 
They recognize truth about themselves and about the world around them. They recognize truth about God and how they can have a relationship with Him. It changes everything. And it, this, this story, the gospel, this message, has altered the world in incredible ways over the last 2,000 years when you look back at it. And so I'm excited just to spend some time in it. And my prayer throughout it is that you may discover the truth and for the truth to set you free because there's much in this world, much in our lives that hell has stolen. And the gospel, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can steal it back. And so we're excited I'm excited about uh, what this might mean for you and your personal life, what it may mean. Uh, this, this message has the power to uh, set people free, whether it's us in this room or people that we'll talk to later and be able to share bits and pieces of the gospel with them. But um, anyway, I'm excited to launch into it. And today we start um, kind of before the beginning of the story. We kind of, we're going to try and paint a backdrop that took thousands of years to paint in just about 30 minutes, if you're lucky. So, that's the, that's the goal today. Now, what kind of kid were you, are you? Because at Christmas time, everybody gets to be a little bit of a kid, I think. But, um, were you the kind that would sneak... You know what I'm talking about. You'd find the present, you'd shake it maybe a little bit. Try to figure out what's in there. Maybe you would even sneak a peek if you could. Anyone willing to own that that's you a little bit? <laughs> a few of you willing to be vulnerable. Uh, the rest of you, I don't know. Uh, now, I am wired weird, I guess. I like to be surprised by Christmas presents. I don't, I don't like surprises as a general rule. But if I know the surprise is coming, I'd just as soon be surprised. And so, uh, if... <laughs> But Christmas, I like. I see the present there. I don't want to know what it is. I want to wait and find out what it is on Christmas morning or whenever I get to open it, and uh, and then I get, you know, the moment. I don't want to already know because that ruins it. That just ruins it. And if you told the truth, you sneaking around and cheating ruined Christmas Day for you <laughs> at some point. It did. It wasn't exciting. You already knew what it was. <laughs> uh, we're not very patient. And that's a problem for us sometimes. Sometimes we view God a little bit like Santa Claus in our culture, even in the church. We see that with the way people talk about prayer. I noticed, uh, you know, back when the shooting happened at that church in Texas, lots of different viewpoints all of a sudden get thrown out there, right? And, uh, and I noticed both from politicians and people in the media and just people on social media, people saying things like, uh, well, we're praying for them. And then other people saying, you know, obviously prayer didn't help them. Uh, they were there praying when it happened. And, and I just remember thinking, I mean, I understand the point that they're trying to make, that, that sometimes you have to take action in our lives, not just pray about things. We pray about things, but we also have to do things. It's a, it's a both-and thing with God. But this idea that, uh, well, prayer failed them, is, is the same idea. It, it reveals something about how people view prayer. 
And most people view prayer as this like magical um, thing that we do, you know, sprinkle some fairy dust on it. Or, uh, you know, send in your wish list to Santa Claus and he'll send you what you want. And if he doesn't, well then either he's not real or, uh, you know, prayer's not working, whatever the case is. We all struggle with this on some level, I think, to some degree with prayer, and I think that's kind of natural. But in our culture, there's a lot of people who view God as like this cosmic Santa Claus, and they send in their wish list, and if they don't get back what they want, or at least not in the time frame that they wanted it, then they have to take matters into their own hands, right? They're not very patient, just like they're not very patient to wait for Christmas morning. They've got to sneak a peek. No, same with God. So many times in our lives, we're not patient enough to wait and see what He's going to do. We've got to make something happen on our own. Have you ever found yourself there? Tired of waiting on God? Not sure what was next? Not sure what his plans were or if his plans would match up with your hopes and your dreams. Have you ever been tempted just to take matters into your own hands? Well, there, you would not be alone. And as we paint the backdrop today of the gospel, it would be good for us to keep all of that in mind. We're not the first people to feel that way and to deal with that. The backdrop of the gospel actually starts 2,000 years before Jesus. It starts with, uh, well, we're going to start with Abraham. This man that God seemed to have a special relationship with, seemed to call out from amongst all the peoples and say, because of your faith, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And you're going to be my people. And through you, I'm going to bless all the nations. You're going to reflect my glory and who I am into the world. And so he took this childless old man and turned him into a great nation in a few generations. And that great nation, as we know, became enslaved to the powerhouse empire of Egypt at that time became enslaved to them and eventually were delivered from that slavery um, from, by uh, God used Moses, right, to deliver them. They crossed the Red Sea. They received commandments which taught them how to live as God's people, how to live as a people, period. They, they had never been an independent nation, right? They had been a really big family when they came to Egypt, and then over the years of slavery, they had grown into this huge people, but they were, had belonged to Egypt. And Egypt's ways had been their ways. And now they had been set free, but for what? And so God began to tell them what it meant to be His people. And that was hard for them to wrap their minds around. That, it was hard for them to wrap their minds around how you would worship an invisible God. Just one God. How does that work? Uh, They had so much trouble with this concept that they formed a golden calf, right? Because they needed something if they were going to worship right. (laughs) That's all they had ever known. And so there's this learning process that they set out on. And, And God said, I've got this land set aside for us. The land that I promised to Abraham 
uh, you can take it. And we famously know how they wimped out and the whole generation uh, passed before they got to try again. And they went in and they took this promised land. But after they took it, not everything went well. And they kept this same pattern from the beginning to the end of the people turning to God and then turning their backs on God. Turning to God and turning their backs on God. And they'd be set in the slavery of some foreign nation and then free again. And oppressed and then free. And then oppressed and then free. Back and forth. Back and forth. It's tiring almost to read it when you read through the Old Testament that sets so much of the backdrop for what happened in the Gospel. Eventually they asked for a king. And eventually they received their greatest king, King David, who secured boundaries for the nation. And his son built the temple that David had envisioned. And this was a big deal, the temple. See, before they had had a tabernacle, which was like a glorified tent that they would travel around with. But now that they had a promised land, a place... David felt like they needed to have a permanent location for the Ark of the Covenant and for their worship to take place. And so he had this vision for a temple. And they built the temple. And we read in the Old Testament how Solomon prayed a prayer of dedication and the glory of God filled the temple in this incredible way. The temple was not just a church. The temple was everything for Israel. And it was really bigger than Israel. The temple was like a religious place and a civic center and a seat of government and everything in one big bundle. It was like their flag. It was the thing they were proud of. It was the thing that the poorest man was proud of and the king was proud of. It was was massive. And not only that, but it it was where they believed. It was where they believed the presence of God, a little bit of heaven, intermingled with earth. Because they believed that in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth and put everything in it and created mankind to live in it, that He used to walk with us in the cool of the day. Heaven and earth overlapped in some way. But when sin entered the world, A great divide took place. And heaven, that dimension of things, was somehow torn apart and separated from earth and the physical dimension. But in the temple, where the presence of God lived, a little bit of heaven touched earth. This was a big deal to them. The temple was everything for them, They didn't always take very good care of it. And David's line uh, was not all as faithful as their ancestor had been. Soon God would send prophets who would warn the people, if you don't get your act together, if you don't turn to God, then all this is going to be torn down and you're going to be scattered amongst the nations. But they wouldn't listen. And eventually, what was promised and warned about came to pass. And an empire in Babylon rose up and reached its long arm down to Jerusalem, smashed the walls of the city, raided the temple, 
damaging it, nearly destroying it. They hauled the people off and Israel was scattered. Never again would there be 12 tribes united in the sense that they were under David. It was ruined. And for decades, it remained like that. But empires come and go. And an empire rose up and took over Babylon. And they had a different strategy. And, and part of their strategy was to let people return back to their homes. And the Jews got to go back if they wanted to. And so many of them did. And they began to rebuild their city. And they began to rebuild its walls. And they began to rebuild the temple. But it was just a shadow of what it had been before. And there was not that moment where God's glory came back and lived there again. It, it just it wasn't the same. God sent prophets again. This time not only with warnings, but with hope. That someday he would send someone. Someone they called the Messiah. A chosen one of God. Kind of a prophet, priest, king, all wrapped into one. And he would restore the temple to its former glory. He would restore Israel to its former glory. Once again, God would reign. And his people would make him known throughout the nations. The last of those prophets was known as Malachi. And we read some of what he wrote just a moment ago. He said, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant who you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But it wasn't all prophesied to be sunshine. When the Messiah would come, Malachi also warned, Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he'll be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But, but for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. And then he said this. This is unusual. The prophet prophesied about another prophet to come. He said, this is speaking as God's voice. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. And then silence no more prophets. These final words 
of the final prophet Malachi would ring out for hundreds of years, 400 to be exact. 400 years of deafening silence. That's a long time. You know, a lot of people think of America, most everyone in the world thinks of America as this great, powerful nation. You know, America's only been around 250 years. Any of y'all remember much about 1617? <laughs> Me neither. 400 years is a long time. I don't care who you are. And it's a long time to live wondering, waiting. Empire would come after empire. They spent their time oppressed, mostly for 400 years. Ruled over by this group and by that group. Wondering when would this promised Elijah come and announce the Messiah's coming. When would the Messiah appear and do what God had promised he would do? They were sick of being oppressed. They longed for the days when they were an independent nation where God was in charge, where they, he, they were clearly his pride and joy and they were prosperous and, and they were at least in theory, supposed to be a light to the nations. They longed for that day to come again, but all they had was silence. So if I had to say one word to kind of paint the backdrop as we prepare for the gospel, it would be impatient. See, Jesus was born into a particular place, a particular time, a particular people, right? And that particular place and time and people were an impatient place and time and people. Jesus was born right there in Israel, a Jew amongst the Jewish people of the first century people were impatient just to give you a little bit of background back up a little bit and somewhere around 250 uh, BC that this impatient people had had enough and they launched this rebellion against those that were oppressing them at that time uh, these, this guy named Maccabee uh, thought he was the man to do it. A lot of people thought he was the Messiah. He came and, and they did battle. They grabbed their swords. They went to battle. Uh, and bloody, violent battles. And they finally won their independence. For a short time. And then here comes Rome. This brand new mega empire of Rome. That the world had never seen anything like Rome. Maybe it's never seen anything quite like it since either. Suddenly, Israel found itself in their vice grip. 
some of them started looking at the scriptures and started looking at you know Malachi and all these different prophets. They found this prophecy in Daniel that said that you know this kingdom would come and then this kingdom would come and then this kingdom would come and after you know the the fourth one then that would be the moment when the son of man would appear that would be the moment when the messiah would appear and and so they were doing the math and they were like Rome's the fourth one the messiah's got to be coming any minute now so a lot of people who were already impatient for God to come felt like this is it and so here they are for 100, 150 years under Roman oppression, waiting to see when's this one going to end, when's the Messiah going to come, impatient. When Rome took over, there was this guy that uh, he, was, he was wealthy, he had a little bit of nobility, he had a little bit of Jewish blood, so he thought, this is my chance, and he got himself appointed king. His name was Herod. Herod the Great. King of the Jews was the title he wanted. Not many Jews wanted him to have the title. This guy was smart. Along with evil. But he was smart. And one of the things he did that was really smart is he took that temple in Jerusalem that had been sort of rebuilt but nothing to compare to its former glory. And he began a rebuilding project. Huge massive rebuilding project that would span decades and would still be going on during Jesus' lifetime and was not completed until after. Huge building project that would make the temple one of the greatest buildings certainly in that region. It was bigger than ever, better than ever. He poured tons of money and labor into it. Why would he do that? Well, it would have to make people wonder, wouldn't it? This king, who thought him, saw himself as, as the king of the Jews, was rebuilding the temple and restoring it to its former glory. Maybe he was the Messiah. Have you ever, uh, if, you, if you're familiar at all with the, uh, with the census, that was taken while Quirinius was governor. You know, if you're familiar with the Christmas story, you may have heard of this census that was taken, and that's why Jesus ended up in Bethlehem and all that. Uh, well, around that time, uh, see, why did they take censuses? To tax people, right? And uh, what do people who feel oppressed don't like? You know, they don't like taxes. And so, uh, at that time, this guy started a movement in Galilee, his name was J Judas, believe it or not. <laughs> Judas of Galilee. And, and he became, he's a revolutionary kind of guy, uh, not in the good sense. <laughs> like, no, I'm not saying he was like, hey, he's revolutionary. But like, he was a revolutionary. And uh, he started what, a movement that became known as the Zealots. And in fact, one, a, a zealot was a member of Jesus' 12 disciples as you'll notice as you read through the Gospels, but he, uh, he started this movement of guys that said, we don't have time for this. It's time to take a sword in our hand and get this show on the road. And he started acting like a Messiah. 
revolutions like that weren't that uncommon. Around 6 BC, you had this revolution that took place. People mad at Rome. A big fight broke out. And to prove their point, Rome crucified about 2,000 Jews all across the countryside. Can you imagine? This is the backdrop. I mean, think about that for a second. That was 6 BC. When Jesus was born, just a few years later, I mean, think about it. If, if someone was born today, what impact would 9-11 have on their life? They'll grow up hearing about it, won't they? 2,000 Jews crucified across the countryside to make Rome's point of what they thought about revolutions. You think that made the people more patient or more impatient? This is the world into which Jesus was born. There was another group of impatient people, very popular with the populace. They were called Pharisees. Their theory was that if they would strictly adhere to the law, that would bring things about. That would move the timeline ahead, that that would get... God going, <laughs> that would get this whole Messiah thing going in the right direction. So they put oral law on top of written law and made everyone toe the line that they could make toe the line, and they themselves did. Everybody impatient. Have you ever tried to uh, watch a pot of water boil? You know, you set it there and, uh, and then you need it to boil quickly because you forgot to start this earlier. <laughs> so you, uh, you put it on there and, and you start waiting. And then you tell yourself, it's never going to boil if I watch it. So you go and you try to do something else, but then you're waiting on it, so you're sitting there waiting. Pretty soon, if you've ever watched a pot boil, <laughs> it starts making some sounds, right? Like some sort of like sizzly sound sort of thing. And then after a while, it starts to be like a rumbly sound. And you're like, oh, that's it. That's it. So then you take the lid off, which I don't have a lid, and steam escapes, and you look in there, no bubbles. <laughs> right? Not quite there yet. That's where Jesus was born. Rumbling. Could be about to boil over. The people impatient. Tensions were high. I better take this back. It doesn't look right in front of the manger. And the people... Had to be frustrated with God, don't you think? Where was he? 400 years. This was not the plan. Certainly wasn't the timetable. I want to ask you today. What do you do when God's plan or God's timetable doesn't match up with your expectations? tell you what they did they kept trying to do it their way they kept trying to force the issue they kept trying to look for messiahs behind every corner what about you 
We live in an impatient world, don't we? I mean, I was just thinking about that with the, the temple rebuilding project took generations <laughs> to complete. People don't think like that anymore, do they? I mean, if you can't build it by next year, don't worry with it. <laughs> right? What, what's the point of, of starting something that you can't finish in your lifetime? We don't have patience for that kind of stuff anymore. So anything, I mean, we can't even, we don't even have time to, to cook vegetables on the stove anymore, right? You've got to buy a steam bag, stick it in the microwave. Who has time for that? You know, that's our society. So what do you do when God's plan or God's timetable doesn't match up with your hopes and dreams and expectations? We do a lot of things, don't we? We're, we're not patient enough for marriage the old-fashioned way. You know, the way that God designed it. Who has time for that? We're not patient enough to save up money and buy something when you could just take out a loan do it now we're not patient even with God there's a lot of a lot of us who uh, you know and I've been there we want this deep relationship with God but we want it right now. We want this better than Pentecost moment, right? Where the Holy Spirit just boom, you know, lands on you and and then oh your gifts are there and your passion is there and you just can't even keep it all in and it's just this moment like this. We don't want to put in the work. And we don't want to be, you know, to discipline ourselves to a lifestyle that's going to grow a deeper relationship with God. No, we just want Him to beam it to us. Same with the blessings of God. We want Him to bless us, don't we? He's got hopes and dreams and plans for us to prosper us, right? This great future that He has for us, we want Him to just lay it on us. We don't want to, uh, you know, worry with that whole part of living the way He says to live, right? That takes a long time. That ta- that's every day. That's your whole life. And yet the blessings of God go hand in hand with the life that He taught us to live. You can't just live your own way and expect the blessings that come from living God's way. But we're not patient enough for that many times. How about in your life? Is there something you're impatient with God for? It's His plans are not matching up with your plan. His timetable is not matching up with your timetable. Uh, we all have this issue, at least in America. But I know this because a few years back, a book came out. It was a Christian book. Most Christians books sell, you know, Christian books sell a few thousand copies. And this one sold eight million copies so far. It's titled Your Best Life Now. 
right? Your best life now. Eight million copies. Yeah, give me that. <laughs> a guy later came out, a Christian guy, a Christian book, came out titled, Your Best Life Later. I don't think it's quite hit the eight million mark, but it does have five reviews on Amazon if you want to check it out. <laughs> Funny how that doesn't sell in our culture. Not even amongst Christians. <laughs> you might say we've got a couple of choices. We can take matters into our own hands, right? We can create our own Messiah. We can be our own Messiah. Or we can find someone who looks real good and attractive and make them our Messiah. Or we can watch and wait and pray and be faithful. Watch and wait and pray and be faithful. Try that with me. Watch and wait and pray and be faithful. In about four months, when we get ready to wrap this series up, we're going to encounter a moment where a choice was given to the people. A choice between two Jesuses. Did you know that the name Jesus means to rescue or deliver? Well, Around 30 A.D. on an April morning, the Roman occupier, Pilate, put two Jesuses before the people said, which one do you want? The one you're more familiar with had preached a message of loving your enemies, of doing good to those who curse you. The one that you know more as Barabbas. Uh, his name was Jesus Barabbas. Barabbas meaning son of God. Had a different messianic plan. You might say. And his seemed to involve a sword. You might say that it was a choice between a crockpot messiah and a microwave messiah. And which one do you think an impatient people chose on that day? Give us Barabbas. Well, what do you want me to do with, with this guy? He hasn't done anything wrong. Crucify him. And in a sense, the same choice sets before us today. Do you want a microwave messiah or a crockpot messiah? Do you want to force the issue or do you want to watch and wait and pray and be faithful? Does hindsight give you any advantage that they didn't have? I hope so. So many times 
we're tempted to force the issue rather than to watch and wait and pray and be faithful. And that choice I just I give you today. If you find yourself impatient, wondering when or if God's ever going to show up or deliver, I'm asking you to watch and wait and pray and be faithful. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for sticking to your plan and to your timetable, even when we beg and plead and throw a fit. (laughs) We admit that our wish lists, along with our attempts to fulfill that list, usually end in disaster, both in our individual lives and in our communities. So Holy Spirit, teach us to watch and wait and pray and be faithful. Amen.